Amen. While you're standing, let's go to Psalm 141. And uh, it's a Psalm of David. So good to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Hope you found a parking place safely. And the parking lot looks good, don't it? Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, if, if you need a seat, just see Brother Michael. He's an usher if, if, if it gets too crowded. So I'm speaking that in faith. Amen. Obviously, our kids are out. Our elements are out. But um, amen. Psalm 141, a Psalm of David, verse 1. Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear to my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute to Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me, and the gins, which means snares again, of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, while that I withal escape. I want to preach, teach just for a few minutes this morning, and this is my title. The enemy had a plot, but God had a plan. Amen. Do you believe that today? Well, I know we've already prayed, so why don't we just clap our hands and bless the Lord and thank Him. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Glory! Glory! Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah! Bring our thoughts captive right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah! Praise God. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. Psalm 141. It's a prayer in which David desperately prays to God. Seeking deliverance and protection. It's categorized as a lament psalm in which David expresses complete trust in God. The chronological history of the psalm is difficult to determine because other than a psalm of David, we're not for sure when this could have happened. Some scholars believe that the reference to the workers of iniquity are Saul and those who plotted to kill David. And if that's true, this would place the psalm before David, of course, became king. And yet, despite his enemies' plots against him, whether it was Saul or some other enemy, David places his faith confidently in God who could sanctify him, who could save him. In fact, who alone could do those things. David's prayer reveals a desire to be cleansed inwardly and outwardly so that his praise and his thanks are acceptable and pleasing to God. If you were to read this psalm with Psalm 1, even though we don't know who that author is, we, you could see some parallels to the, to the style and the type of, of what the psalmist is saying there. David asserts his integrity, but not arrogantly. 
In other words, he is, as if you will, defending himself in a courtroom and asserting his integrity. He's willing to be corrected. He's willing to be rebuked and welcomes the opportunity to grow. David's words and actions that are revealed through Psalm 141 present what born-again believers should do when Satan or others plot against them. You should sacrifice and submit to God, trusting in His ultimate security. Let's break this down a little bit deeper here and, and, and look at each one of those. Let's first look at sacrificing to God. In verses 1 and 2, let's read it again. Lord, I cry unto Thee, make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice. You can hear the, the, the intensity and, and the, the necessity and the immediacy of what he's praying when I cry unto thee. Verse 2, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Whatever the situation is and whomever David's enemies are, he needs God to intervene immediately. This is not a situation that can wait. It's not something that you know, he, God, I need an answer now. I need help now. I need your assistance right now. Have you ever been at a place where you need to dial 911 to heaven because you need God to intervene immediately? Well, this is David here. Whatever the circumstance, he needs God to quickly respond. But he wants God. He, he's like, God, I, I know you'll respond, and I know you'll respond to faith. Therefore, verse 2, I, I want it to be as incense. I want it to be that sweet-smelling savor that comes up to you. I want my prayer not to be some arrogant thing. I want you to sense the, the beauty and the relationship of my prayer. I want to be totally surrendered to you and I want the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. In other words, he's saying, God, I want to be pleasing and acceptable to you. Kind of sounds like Romans, right? Doing that acceptable, perfect will of God, right? We want God to accept us. We want God to accept our prayer, but are we acceptable to Him? Now, four other times in Scripture, the evening sacrifice is specifically mentioned. And this refers to the final sacrifice of the day that would take place at 3 p.m. And so David here mentions it in Psalm 141, verse 2. Not necessarily that it's, it's like the evening sacrifice, but it's possible that he mentions it because it's his habit of prayer at that prayer time. It also is, of course, the final sacrifice, and it could also indicate the immediacy. God, there's no more sacrifices today. This is the last one. I've got to have an answer before the morning comes, and we start with the morning sacrifice. So you can kind of get a sense of what's happening here. The, the, another interesting thing is incense here doesn't just mean sweet-smelling savor. It actually also indicates the regularity of which David prayed. In other words, God, I, I'm praying to you, and you know this is not just me coming, and I haven't prayed for a long time. I've got a relationship with you. Amen? And so if you combine that with then the lifting up of his hands, here's what David is saying. God, you're not just 
an option. You're my only option. You're not just a last resort. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years had tried other things, and unfortunately those doctors had made her worse. She had spent all of her money and only got worse. Look, it took her 12 years to get to Jesus. It took him less than 12 seconds to heal her. And sometimes we need to learn that lesson instead of going through 12 years of everything else. Why don't we just go to God? Because in 12 seconds or less, come on now. And so what David is saying here is, God, we've got a relationship. I know you, you know me. I love you, you love me. I worship you. God doesn't worship him. But, you know, let's, we're in a relationship here, God. And so I need a 12-second answer here. I'm not going to try something for 12 years and then come back to you. You're my only option. If you don't come through, I'm dead. Mm. When you pray that kind of prayer, and you mean it, and you really do trust fully in God. I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know what the doctor's report's going to reveal. I don't know how the situation's going to turn out. When you really pray that way and truly let God handle it. That's what David is saying here. It's incense, it's regularity, it's, it's lifting up of hands, it's surrendering to God. Too often we make prayer a last option. It's something we do after we've tried everything else. I love how Sister Vesta Mangan says it, says it. Turn in your prayer life for a life of prayer. David reveals that prayer is his first priority. So if the devil or others are plotting against you, I encourage you to sacrifice to God because prayer is not just the best thing you can do. <laughs> prayer should be the first and quite frankly the only thing you should do. Go to God and let Him handle your enemies. Did you know you stand tallest when you're on your knees in prayer? You see, the devil thinks you're getting on your knees because you're surrendering. The devil thinks you're lifting your hands because you're surrendering ways in the right flag. What he don't understand is you're on your knees lifting your hands to the one true God who will defeat him. Oh, hallelujah. You've probably seen or heard or, you know, there's, there's memes about it and there's, I've seen different pictures about it. You know, the devil saw me with my head bowed and thought he had the victory until he heard me say, in Jesus' name, amen. And then he realized, uh-oh, he's been praying. <laughs> yeah. So the second thing we want to talk about from this psalm is submission to God. Verses 3 through 5a, the first part of the verse. Let me read it to you again. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Now, notice he needs God to deliver him this quick, immediate, his enemies are plotting against him. But, but watch how he's going to filter his prayer request to the Lord. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties or delicacies. Okay? So let's just hold right there for a minute, these first two verses. His, his prayer is, God, I'm so attacked by my enemies, I don't want to become like them. I don't want to think like them. I don't want to respond like them. I don't want to resort to their tactics. Okay? You ever, you ever see... You know, a, a grown adult parent arguing with a little child. 
Like, why are you arguing? You're, you're just getting on their level. It's, it's, it's not going to work. Okay? I, I read something today that said, never argue with a fool because they'll beat you every time. You know, just move on. Well, here's the point. David is saying, I don't want to resort to their tactics. I don't want to become like them. So keep a watch on my mouth and my lips and what I say and what I think and how I feel. Incline my heart. In other words, inwardly, outwardly. I don't even want to be a part of what they are or do. But then he says in verse 5, let the righteous smite me and it shall be a kindness. Now, if I walked up to one of you and chose you as my uh, uh, illustration today and just you know, smacked you on the face, would you receive it as a kindness? Would anybody like to volunteer? Right or left hand? You, you pick. Brother Chris, no? He's like, don't you dare. <laughs> right? So obviously David is not referring to a literal you know, slap on the face. It, it's, it's metaphorical language. What he's saying is, God, I don't want to become like them. And, and if I need somebody to help correct me, to help rebuke me, to help keep me stable... I'm willing to receive it because I want to be right in your eyes. He's going back to the acceptable and pleasing aspect of the first couple of verses. God, I, I, don't, I know they're plotting evil against me, but I know you can protect me. Amen. He wants nothing to do with sinners. He submits himself to God and to those who are righteous. He's willing to be rebuked. He says, it'll be his kindness. In fact, uh, if he reproves me, it'll be an excellent oil. It'll be that anointing oil. This, this gives us a clue about submission. Amen. Oil, in Scripture, references the spirit, power, or presence of God. Okay? How many of you know anointing flows downward? It hits the top of Mount Hermon, flows down, right, like the dew, fills the, the, the valley, goes into the river, right? Okay. It comes to the top of Aaron's head, down his beard, down the, the skirts of his garment, to the, right? Anointing flows that way. What he's saying is, God, I want as much as I can get. And so I'm willing to be covered. I'm willing to be rebuked. I'm willing to be reproved because I know it's like excellent oil. Let me say this. The Bible tells us that open rebuke is better than secret love. That's Proverbs 27, verse 5. And David, even though he didn't write that, his son Solomon did, he knows the essence of what that, I would rather be openly rebuked than secretly loved. Hallelujah. Submission is vital to your success in Christ. In fact, if you're not submitted, you are unteachable, which then also means you are unreachable. I wish that I could stand in this pulpit and tell you that every person I've ever pastored in the last 22 years has remained submitted and teachable. I wish I could say that, but if I did, it would be a lie. You must first submit to God. In fact, did you know it's the only way that you can resist the devil? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Huh. So in other words, watch this. 
the devil doesn't respond to unsubmitted saints. You can rebuke him all day long, tell him to leave you alone all day long, but if you ain't first submitted, he's like, you're just blowing smoke. Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? Wives, if, if you're here today or listening online, the Bible tells you to submit to your own husbands. I want to clarify that. Women, all women are not submitted to all men. I want to make that clear. There are some churches and pre preachers that think that all women have to submit to all men. That's not Bible. Wives, submit unto your own husbands. That's Bible. Okay? Hopefully that didn't, you know, mess up your theology, but that's Bible. So if it did, let's get correct in the Bible, not opinion. Okay. All right? But there's a reason for that. Because in the marriage, the husband is the Christ figure. Husbands, love your wives as? Exactly. So that means the wife is the church, which is submitted unto Christ. Christ is the head of the church, right? Are you seeing it? So by a wife's submission to her own husband, she's showing her family, her neighbors, her friends, her co-workers, her church family, a picture of the church. Let me just interject here, though. If you're one who is submitted to, be worthy of it. I love these husbands that will come to me, my wife needs to submit to me. I'm like, well, do you love her like Christ loved the church? I've had pastors tell me, man, my church needs to submit to me. I'm like, are you walking worthy of the vocation we're with your call? Are you loving them and leading them? Are you not lording over God's heritage? Because if it's coercion, that leads to dictatorship. But if it's submission, it leads to discipleship. All right? So we've got submitted to God, wives submitting to husbands. You ready for the next one? By the way, these are all in the Bible. Uh, James 4, 7 was uh, submit to God. Ephesians 5, 22 and Colossians 3, 18 is wives submit to your husbands. Watch this. We also have mutual submission. The Bible says we submit to one another. And that's in Ephesians 5.21 and 1 Peter 5.5. 5. We don't talk about that one a lot, do we? Oh, it's, it's easy to preach. Wife, submit to your husbands and, and submit to God and submit to your pastor, praise the Lord. But what about submitting to one another? Well, that's in the Bible too. And then Hebrews 13.17, submitting unto your pastor, and I would include the whole fivefold with that, God's uh, gifts to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Because they give an account for you according to Hebrews 13, 17. Let me just briefly tell you what submission isn't. Submission, is, as I said, is not coerced. Submission doesn't mean you need to call your pastor for every decision you make. Do I buy cornflakes or Wheaties? I don't care. Okay. And, and I say that, I, I, I know it sounds funny, but there are some pastors that, that, that think that way, that you've got to ask them every little question. No, please don't. Involve me in the big things. Hey, I want to get married. Hey, I feel God calling me to preach. Hey, uh, I, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, making a, 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 you know, moving into an apartment to a house, you know. And it's not that I'm going to give you a yes or no. It's just include your pastor in on that opportunity to pray with you 
If I've got to give an account for you, and I'm standing before God, and God says, yeah, well, they did this and that. And I'm like, well, I didn't know that. Right? That's what submission is. It's also being willing to receive a no. Because sometimes God will give the man of God in your life a clearer picture than what you're seeing and I know that when I'm saying this, I know that there's a spirit because there's been a lot of abuse take place. There's been a lot of abuse from pulpits happen. And I think most of you know me well enough to know that if I could get my hand around some of the necks of those men, it's a good thing I'm not God. Because I would have some lightning bolts going in their ears and out their eyes and everywhere else I could be sh uh, shooting them. Because I, I, it bothers me when, when men of God will abuse their power in the gospel. So I'm, I'm not just saying, hey, you better submit to me because I'm the pastor, bless God. I'm also telling you that I recognize there's a lot I've got to do. Because at the end of the day, I'm just an under-shepherd. And if I answer to the chief shepherd and I've not done a job like he wants me to... I won't hear well done, good and faithful servant. In order to hear well done, you got to do well. And that includes me. And in a society that abandons God's word, and evildoers are waxing worse, submission may not make sense, but it makes saints. And besides, God's church is to be anti-culture. So if the enemy or others are plotting against you. Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to one another. Submit yourself to the righteous as David did. Submit yourself to the fivefold and let God give you victory. Before I move on, let me say this. I remember the time my wife uh, ministered on a Mother's Day about submission. And one of the things she talked about uh, with that was, as a wife, she has a lot of input. And, 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 but at the end of the day, she's able to step back and say, it's your decision as the, as the husband. And there's been many times where I've made the right decision. And guess what? It blesses her. I mean, sometimes I made the wrong decision and she's like, told you so. You know? <laughs> well, she don't really do that all the time. But you get my point. But submission protects her. It covers her. It's the same for a church. If, let me say this. If the devil is getting to you, he's had to go through your pastor and the fivefold first. All right. Let's move on to the fourth, uh, third thing. Excuse me, not fourth. Lost count here. Securing God. Psalm 141. And, and this is the rest of verse 5. Because now it transitions in the middle of the verse. For yet my prayer shall be in their calamities. When their judges are overthrown in stony places. When they shall hear my words for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth. As one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul. Thus do keep me from the snares which they have laid for me. And the gins, which again is the word snares, of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their nets while I withal escape. David knows that when God judges the world, his word is final. Amen. There is no appellate court. There is no uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 juries or judges that can overturn. There, there, there's no appeals. There's, there's nothing that can be done. When God speaks, it's final. 
And because he recognizes this, he recognizes that if their unrepented ways go unrepented and they continue to reject God and they die in their sin, they will be judged accordingly. He also knows that the righteous will escape if they repent and stay submitted and stay in his word. And so this has an implication to the second coming when the righteous will be rewarded, the sheep on the right, and the goats, the wicked, will be damned or wrath will be poured out upon them. You can see this in 2 Thessalonians. You can see this in Matthew 25, Luke 17, Revelation 16, so on and so forth. And further, the reason I believe this implicitly is pointing to that day First of all, David was a prophet. We know that from the book of Acts. But secondly, he says, Lord, let not my soul be left destitute. He recognizes that this body's going to die one day, but this soul is going to live forever. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about who can harm the body, but he who can harm the body and the soul. So David is recognizing there's an eternal aspect to what he's praying. Lord, I want to escape safely i want to be secure in that so if the enemy is plotting or others are plotting against you then pray until you're secure in god's grace recognizing there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and just as david's enemies plotted against him so also did joseph's brothers beginning i think in chapter 36 or 37 of of Genesis and going through to the end of that book is Joseph is the, is the main character. His brothers hate him. They're jealous of him. They, they, they throw him in a pit wanting to kill him. They sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. He's then sold into slavery. Potiphar, of course, buys him. And, and even though the Lord's with him, chapter 39 tells us twice the Lord was with him. He blesses Potiphar's house, blesses all that... that Joseph is doing, and then, of course, Potiphar's wife lies. He gets thrown into prison. But there again, the Lord's with him, and he rises up, and the prison is blessed, and, and the jailer is blessed. And I read one commentary that said it's very probable that David would have carried the very keys to the jail. You talk about integrity. <laughs> you know, he then reinterprets dreams for the butler and the baker and Pharaoh's dream. And I love his spirit when Pharaoh says, so I hear you can interpret dreams. He goes, no, I can't. But God can. I mean, here's your moment to shine. Oh, yes, yes, I'm an interpreter. Joseph, interpreter of dreams. I mean, he could have had business cards made up. He could have had us. That's what some of us would do. Joseph's like, no, no, God is the interpreter of those dreams. And, of course, we know he gets blessed. He rises. He's basically the... The, the leader of Egypt because he answers to no one but Pharaoh and Pharaoh is seen as the son of God. Literally, they see him as the incarnate uh, uh, son of Ra, the, the, their main God. And so he is there as, as the main, you know, physical embodiment. So he's a God. And so the, the, the highest human authority is Joseph in the land. Of course, a famine hits and it hits all the way up into Canaan. His brothers come. And in Genesis 50 verse 20, I didn't give it to you back there, but can you find it real fast? See, uh, see if I can find it first. I'm turning slow. I'm giving them a chance. 
should have gave it to him. I'm sorry. Oh, bingo, man. I just, just turned the page. So you beat me by one second, Daniel. Watch what Joseph says here. But as for you, he's talking to his brothers. You, and can I interject the word plotted? Because of my title. You plotted evil against me. But God planned it unto good. To bring to pass. In other words, God took your plot and already had a plan in it. Mm. You see, although Satan plots against you, desiring to steal, kill, and destroy you, God has a plan to anoint you, choosing to save, deliver, and heal through you. How many of you could just take a brief moment, look back at your life, and see the twists and turns in the river of your life and realize... Oh, I see what God was doing. That's why we took that little thing. That's why we went that way. That's why it seemed to go over here. And that's why the river did this and that. Uh huh. Because God, the enemy might have been plotting against you. And God might have let the enemy, like a little pawn on the chessboard, move a pace or two. But he had a plan to get you to where you are today. Mm. And I believe David was realizing this in his prayer, in his psalm. And I believe God has sent me to this pulpit today to tell somebody here that the enemy's plotting against you and, and it feels like he's got the upper hand and he's holding the cards in his hand. But I've come to tell you God is the dealer and he knows how it all turns out. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Hallelujah. So just keep on sacrificing. Keep on uh, submitting to God. Keep on being secure in Him. But there's, but there's one more thing that I want to share with you. I love it when God confirms and affirms. Recently I've been studying through Genesis again. and I, I believe with all my heart that, that everything we need to know is in Genesis. And not that the rest of the Bible is irrelevant. But you can prove the oneness in Genesis. And you can prove salvation in Genesis. And you can prove holiness in Genesis. You can prove a prayer in Genesis and sacrifice and all of these things. And so it, it, it's the Genesis. It is the beginning. In Genesis 3.21, God is going to expel Adam and Eve from the garden. They have made fig leaves to cover their shame and nakedness. And I was looking at this uh, recently uh, because isn't that just like us? We make a mistake. We sin. We, we transgress. And we try to cover it up. But how many of you know our covering is inept? It doesn't do much. It's like fig leaves. It don't cover very much. So God had to make a covering. And, and as I was looking at this, I realized something. Something had to die for them to live. I don't know if it was a bear or an ox or a giraffe or what kind of skin of an animal it was, but something had to die so that Adam and Eve could live. Is that not a picture of Christ? The wages of sin is, and He died so that we could Hmm. Well, then last week when I announced uh, my title and, and gave everybody a little sneak preview, 
Brother Chris came up to me and shared something, and, and I'm glad he did, because as I took what he said and dug into it even myself even deeper, the word make, it says to, he made them coats of skin, that made or make, I can't remember the, the verb tense it's in, but, but, or the grammar tense, but that word also means became. <laughs> you see, Jesus, the Bible says in John 1, 1, was the, in the beginning and was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, the Word became flesh. How many of you know that when we receive uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are covered by Christ? When we're baptized into Christ, the Bible says we are baptized into him. We're clothed into him. My Lord. We're covered. Our attempt to cover our shame and sin is like fig leaves, but God's attempt. In other words, you see, the enemy plotted to destroy Adam and Eve, but God had a plan. And see, this is what's interesting. The enemy thought, you know, my plan's going to work, and, and I've got this plan to destroy him, and I'm going to get them to turn against God. And all, he does not realize he's actually a part of God's plan. You see, because he comes to Job thinking that it's his idea. But he doesn't know he couldn't have touched Job except that God allowed him to. Oh, I wish somebody would hear that. If the enemy's touching your life, if, if the enemy's picking on you, it's because God has allowed him to. And so he can plot all he wants to and, and think it's his idea, but in the long run, it's God's plan. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from before the foundation. That means before the devil plotted against you, before he had a plot to destroy you, God already had a plan to save you. And I believe in this Psalm 141, David is realizing this. He's a prophet. His psalms reveal that he saw Calvary in Psalm 22. He saw the end times, the apocalypse. He saw these great things of God. And I believe he saw salvation in this psalm. I believe he saw something and realized, you know what? Saul's plotting against me. Others are plotting against me. But God has a plan. He wouldn't have anointed me if I'm not going to sit on that throne one day. He wouldn't have had the prophet come to my life if he wasn't going to do it because God can't lie and I want to remind somebody today God's given you a word I don't care what the enemy's doing you hang on to that word you know how many times I've walked into this very building and prayed I've walked through every classroom closet and bathroom I've walked downstairs upstairs amen I've walked to, in, in the halls you want to know why? Because God gave me a word 12 years ago when I came. And there's been times I'm like, God, I'm reminding you of that word. And so if you've got a word, I want you to hang on to it today. Hallelujah. Because although the enemy has a plan to destroy you in sin, God had a plan to save you from sin. <laughs> oh hallelujah thank you Jesus aren't you glad for the glory of God today 
This is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit. Here it is. That God was in Christ. God became. Amen. God was manifested in flesh, right? Not imputing their trespasses unto him. Wow. We deserve death. But he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to die in your place. Hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you, we pray you, Christ did, be you reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Here's why God became us. Here's the plan. Right? He knew we couldn't be righteous of our own. Because we carry the DNA of Adam. 1 Corinthians 15. We have the DNA of sin, if you will, in our life. And there's no way we could atone and be righteous. So he had to come in the form of man, the Bible says, at the appointed time. So that we could be made the righteousness of God. Because 1 Corinthians 15 also indicates that just as we have partaken of the earthly nature of Adam, the last Adam, when we're born again, we partake of that nature. Can I tell somebody you're already an eternal being? Oh, come on. I know we look forward to eternity. I know we long for that day when we rise to meet him in the air. I do too. But you're already an eternal. And every time you pray, every time you worship, every time you speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance, uh, whether it's in prayer or in worship unto yourself and, and, and worship unto God, what you are doing is experiencing what eternity is going to be like. And so I would encourage you today, when we move into second half, if you needed just a little taste of eternity, just to reach up today and realize, God, you've had a plan all along. You've brought me this far, and you're not done with me yet. Is anybody thankful for who God is? Let's stand to our feet. Let's clap our hands and thank God for the plan. Glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So keep on sacrificing, keep on submitting, and remain secure in God. He's got a plan. It's brilliant, and you're part of it. God bless you in Jesus' name.